Welcome to the SSI Orbit Podcast, a forum where we explore the ever-growing ecosystems of self-sovereign identity. And I'm your host, Matsur Glode. In today's conversation, I welcome Jim St. Clair, the Chief Trust Officer for the Lumetic Exchange, the first internationally available patient-centric data exchange platform. Now, Jim leads the development and harmonization of W3C verifiable credential data standards across healthcare and identity use cases. And during this conversation, we discussed Jim's vast experience and expertise in healthcare IT and today's leading standards that healthcare operators must follow when dealing with patient health data. We discussed the patient era, which is the next evolution of healthcare and how the work happening at the Lumetic Exchange is enabling all of this. So the Lumetic Exchange is exciting as this is an open ecosystem for collaboration around patient-centric health advancements and they're working on developing trust frameworks for this decentralized model and much more through various working groups. We also touch upon Lumetic Connect, the toolkits that they've built to enable these processes to use verifiable credentials. Now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Jim St. Clair. Okay, we're on. Hi, Jim. How's it going? I'm well, sir. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well. So um, what I wanted to do is just start off this conversation before getting into all of the cool stuff that you're doing at Lumetic and through the different communities uh, that you're you're working in, um, just to take a little bit of a step back and to understand how you got into healthcare. It doesn't seem like it's uh, you got into it uh, just yesterday. So do you mind giving kind of a background of uh, how you got into the healthcare space? Sure, absolutely. And and I want to be clear that uh, I characterize my my health involvement and healthcare involvement around health IT. Um, I uh, I don't have uh, the privilege. Of being in healthcare, like many frontline workers and, and doctors and, and nurses, um, but have come into it as a technologist going back about um, <clears throat> really about 12 years ago, I guess. Uh, I've been in technology and the public sector for a little over 20 years. Uh, and, and during my time in the public sector uh, and public sector consulting in Washington, D.C., I got more involved with uh, federal agencies in healthcare. Uh, and uh, and federal health IT and 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 uh, data efforts. Um, uh, I used that opportunity actually to go to work for HIMSS, the Health Information and Management Systems Society, which is the uh, uh, world's largest cause-based nonprofit specifically focused on uh, healthcare technology and the use of technology for uh, patient empowerment and, and patient engagement. Um, uh, I spent a year and a half with them as the uh, uh, Senior Director for Interoperability and Standards, um, left that job to go back into public sector consulting, uh, supporting uh, the, state of the state of Vermont with implementing some systems as part of the, uh, the Affordable Care Act, uh, uh, then moved into a, another small company supporting a large enterprise uh, software development initiative with the uh, Department of Veterans Affairs, the VA. Uh, and then um, uh, worked for another small company in Maryland with a focus on Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which is part of US HHS. Uh, stayed involved with HL7 and, uh, and several other uh, um, um, standards groups and, and consortia, uh, and then uh, started working with Lumetic uh, in January of this year, uh, specifically focused uh, both on uh, digital identity standards, especially in self-sovereign identity, uh, and also uh, continuing to work in HL7. 
Uh, Lumetic is part of the Providence Health Systems, and we play a very active role in several HL7 initiatives for, uh, for health IT and data exchange. And uh, it's very complementary to the work we're also doing with groups like Sovereign and Trust Over IP Foundation, et cetera. For, for those who aren't uh, familiar with HL7, um, like myself, uh, what is it? Sure, sure. I didn't mean to just throw that out there, but uh, uh, HL7 is an international body. HL stands for Health Level 7. Uh, they've, and I apologize for not remembering exactly when they got started, but they've been around for several decades. Uh, and they have uh, uh, various international working groups and focus areas uh, that are using um, 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 standard schemas, very similar to like W3C and others, uh, to develop health data standards for interoperable health data in healthcare systems. Got it. And then there are other organizations as well. I think the F FHIR, like the Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resource, uh, is another one that uh, you're a part of, or at least uh, when you were part of HIMSS was a part of that too. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that. So FIRE, Fast Health Information Resources, is in fact the latest um, JSON-based uh, uh, iteration of technology that HL7 has developed over uh, about the last uh, six or seven years. Uh, so the development of health standards has been iterative. And, and I'm sure just like you know, Matthew, going back to the data standards and the way data was, was organized and used in the client server environments, uh, has changed with uh, web services and with APIs and cloud services and the internet, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and health data standards have changed as well. And so FIRE, Fast Health Information Resources, is the latest iteration for being able to, uh, to uh, capture health data from electronic healthcare records and make it available uh, through web services. Got it. Thanks for the breakdown. Um, sure. There's a, there's a newer kind of act um, a, a little more recently, but I'll just take a step back before getting to there. Um, there, there was a nice kind of representation that Michael Nash uh, from your team put together, kind of just showing the progress of healthcare, like as, as it started mm -hmm. in its pre-digital era, uh, you started to get different standards and le legislations like HIPAA that, that came around. Then you started to get more and more digital standards and high-tech standards as kind of the paper era moved into the digital era. Um, and then today, closer to today, with the 21st Century Cures Act kind of uh, coming into place, moving kind of from the digital era to, towards more the patient era. How, how, how have you viewed that whole evolution in, in healthcare and how has kind of the 21st Century Cures Act kind of aligned with what you guys uh, are doing or what you're thinking? Absolutely, and uh, I think your description was outstanding. Uh, Mike Nash, as our CEO, has uh, espoused this vision, which I think is, uh, outstanding about uh, about the healthcare in the US coming into the patient era and how Lumetic is part of the patient era now. And, uh, and, and to walk through that, uh, that evolution just a bit more that you, uh, you just articulated, um, you know, just like so many other industries, we moved from paper to digital over the course of the last couple decades. And in healthcare, there was a, a change in regulatory focus to take into account the fact that electronic healthcare, or excuse me, that healthcare records, which had historically been, you know, big thick binders of paper and, uh, and faxes and notes, which which still persist today, um, uh, have been more and more transitioning into the world of digital and, and digital uh, uh, 
or uh, records, electronic healthcare record systems. <clears throat> and that prompted a law in 1996 called the Health Information Portability and Accountability Act, uh, which was groundbreaking in its obviousness in saying that, number one, your healthcare data should be able to go wherever you want it to go. And that, number two, uh, healthcare systems were responsible for how they uh, manage, uh, safeguard, and, and distribute uh, electronic health information, which we called uh, 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 EHI or, or PHI, protected health information. Uh, and, and while, you know, number one, everyone appreciates the fact that uh, the law helped uh, clarify and articulate um, uh, that data should be available to you uh, 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 wherever you need it to be and that it could be transferable, and most importantly, there are protections behind it. It still had kind of a uh, an organizational silo feel to it, and 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 that traditional client server type view. But of course, uh, since that time in 1996, um, obviously more and more things are available through the internet and mobile apps and electronic systems. Um, and then you have various you know middleware and patient engagement experience platforms and um, use of uh, of uh, of um, third-party apps and, and health and fitness apps. And so if anything, I think the term I use now is ubiquitousness of healthcare data, and that your healthcare data uh, should be ubiquitous in terms of your ability to get it, combine it with other information that you're collecting. Um, and it should be ubiquitous in its presentation and ability to be used at different places. And, and that's where we're getting into with the patient era, which is you as the patients have the technology and we have the architectures to empower you to be able to collect your data and use it as you see fit. Your ability to, to get access to that data and, uh, and be able to use that data as you see fit has oftentimes been you know, questionable just because of healthcare silos. But we're now at a point where the architecture and the technology no longer restricts that sort of, uh, uh, of silo of data and that uh, you should be able to take advantage of it and use apps to do so. And that is a, that is a thematic undercurrent to everything that we do with Lumetic, but uh, in particular around the Lumetic Connect identity platform. So, so then something like HIPAA, which um, I, I don't know the exact date, I would say kind of in the 90s uh, came around. That might've been- 1996, yes, sir. So, so that was the exact date you were just referring to. Um, so the HIPAA, which provides guidance for, I guess, health information exchange between organizations, that that is still still valid with the 21st Century Cures Act. It would kind of be, it would be a piece that just fits within that act. It's just the act makes it more possible for for more patient-driven or patient-owned models. Yeah, that's a great point. So the 21st Century Cures Act, uh, as as suggested, passed here in the 21st century, go into effect in 2021. Uh, does in many ways kind of layer on top of HIPAA. And uh, I think you bring up a good point that's worth clarifying. Uh, HIPAA was passed in 1996. And I uh, apologize why I suddenly draw a blank, but uh, in 2010, you had high tech, the health information technology uh, for e economy and community health. I think it was high tech. High tech added another layer to HIPAA in terms of recognizing uh, health information and promoting the use of electronic healthcare records. And now you have the 21st Century Cures Act, uh, of which there's many good summaries out there that your listeners can, can find for, uh, for the 21st Century Cures Act. But the most important thing is how it, it takes such a broader message and, and regulatory guideline around the availability of health information, something called patient access APIs, 
um, uh, and uh, and so and subsequent modification to things like the um, uh, the HIPAA privacy rule uh, and others that uh, help bolster the underlying message that patients should access their own information. Got it. So if we look at kind of a patient centric ID or the patient era moving forward, why, why is that the solution to, to fix the problems? I'm assuming there's, there's a lot of um, um, problems that are related to, and you've described a few of them, just kind of the, um, the siloed view of data and the lack of interoperability and stuff like that. What are the major, major benefits of patient ID that, that you guys are excited about? Yeah, so I'd say that there's a couple things, and uh, on, on its surface, one can be excited about just the principles of, of privacy-preserving architectures and um, building in the concepts of self-sovereign identity, uh, you know, the, the sort of things that obviously you and I and, and other folks in the identity standards world are excited about uh, to, to allow people to control their own information and help control how their information is shared. But, but even more so than that, if the, if the information is controlled by the individual and by the patient, they're now empowered to control where that information goes. Um, I oftentimes make an analogy that uh, culturally healthcare in some ways is still like the, the going to see the, the tribal shaman 10,000 years ago. Um, I show up in a healthcare environment, uh, some doctor says that there's some issue uh, maybe I understand it, maybe I don't, which is a patient health literacy issue. Um, maybe I have access to the data. Maybe he just magic, he or she magically presents a lab result uh, and says, uh, hey, this is the issue. And now you have to go and do this, this, and this. And these are three other things that you're being told to do. Um, that changes when you now have the individual being able to manage how their data is collected and how their data is disseminated, how they do things in the healthcare environment with a healthcare organization. And I think it now allows them to be empowered to make decisions about, well, I'm not just gonna see this doctor here, I'm also gonna see this doctor here. Or um, when I do see this doctor, these are the things that I think they need to know about me, um, but I shouldn't have to consent to share my entire life history with them if I don't feel it's relevant. If I'm, if I'm going to a back specialist um, you know, do they need to know something about substance abuse that may or may not have anything to do with that? And, and how do I, as a patient, get more involved with how my health information moves around in a way that I've never been involved before, whether it was paper or digital? Is another interesting aspect to that, like you definitely have the, the privacy preserving uh, aspects to, to the whole story here, but I think we're, we're seeing in healthcare and just like health technology and stuff like that, like you're, you're as a person, like we're, we're getting more and more opportunities to, to, to use different methods for, for health data inputs, whether it's just wearables, whether it's going to different specialized treatments or scans or stuff like that. So I, I guess being kind of at the center and having control of that and being able to amalgamate that yourself at the center, um, kind of goes along the whole big data story where there's actually tons of opportunities to, to use more and more data in, in healthcare today. It's probably a, a, another benefit of having this patient-centric model. That's a wonderful analogy, and I'd add to it as well. I'm sure you've read quite a bit about uh, the use of AI in healthcare and, and AI services and chatbots and that sort of thing. Um, the more that you have the ability to collect your own information, 
and use that in support of tools like uh, an AI-driven application, for instance, the more that things can be customized to you or built on what we call uh, evidence-based medicine, EBM, as a framework for decision-making. So uh, with, uh, with the proliferation of, uh, of health apps and the advancement in technologies that allow you to you know, monitor your own heart rate at home, uh, assist you with medication adherence and, and how you take medication and gathering that information in your own app, having that information available to you as part of your own data, as part of clinical decision-making and deciding where your data goes and what you do is really where the 21st century is going. So, you know, again, the 21st Century Cures Act is your ability to get that information, work with information from uh, mobile apps and, and, and health, uh, health applications, uh, and then decide how that information is shared and control the consent that belongs to you. Got it. So yeah. Lumetic, Lumetic is an organization, um, I, I, we've been hearing more about the stuff you're doing through different communities like the Trust Over IP. Um, Lumetic is an organization that was existing but was purchased by Providence Health Systems a, a few years ago. Do you mind just kind of making the, the distinction between those two organizations and what both of them are kind of up to? Sure, absolutely. So Providence Health Systems is the uh, ninth largest healthcare system in the U.S. and they are a uh, non-for-profit uh, Catholic uh, uh, hospital system uh, located in Seattle and they support uh, seven states. Um, under that, uh, or, or as part of Providence Health Systems, they have a for-profit portfolio of companies called Tegria. Uh, and one of the companies under that Tegria portfolio is Lumetic. And as you mentioned, Lumetic was acquired um, independently a couple years ago to be added to that portfolio uh, uh, to support uh, new kind of tech startups and health innovations within that portfolio under the umbrella of a large major healthcare system. Um, and then just to add on top of that, uh, uh, Providence has its own digital innovation group and uh, coordinate with, uh, with a venture fund. And it, it kind of gives them a broad base of, um, of involvement for identifying healthcare technology solutions that obviously advance their mission uh, for care delivery in the states that they support. And then it, within Lumetic, do you have the opportunity to hopefully leverage the ecosystem of, of different companies that either, or different resources that Providence has, has assembled or Tegria has under their portfolio? Yeah, and that's a, a great point too. And, and one I'm not afraid to advertise, which is, you know, there's lots and lots of health tech companies out there, as I'm sure you're aware of. Very few of them have the opportunity to participate in daily and, and interact directly with um, uh, a healthcare system uh, beyond just a traditional kind of customer vendor relationship. Uh, and, and not only that, but a healthcare system of the size and scope of Providence. Um, so I consider myself very fortunate that I get to work alongside um, senior Providence health, uh, healthcare professionals and, and leaders as part of what we're doing in advancing. Um, specifically, as an example, we've created the Lumetic Exchange, which is a voluntary organization of stakeholders um, with uh, from other healthcare organizations, but including Providence, whose focus is on developing use cases and workflows around this concept of verifiable credentials. Uh, and that gives us the opportunity to, to tap into not only just uh, folks that are technically part of Providence Health Systems, but Providence itself has Providence of Oregon, it's got other systems in California, 
it gives a tremendous degree of, of, of variety and organizational diversity, uh, each representing different healthcare organization perspectives as part of this development work. Um, so there are very few health tech companies that can offer that sort of, of background and diversity in terms of their solution development and application. Why was like, what was the vision behind the Lumetic Exchange? Like it made sense to have some sort of ecosystem um, or consortium, as you could call it, maybe just governing the, the health apps or the data or the different systems and what, what people are using? Is, is that kind of the idea behind the Lumetic Exchange? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I know we haven't talked about it too much besides just the references to the Trust Over IP Foundation. Um, but but uh, the Lumetic Connect product is based entirely on the, the Trust Over IP Foundation sort of framework for um, managing decentralized identity and using the W3C Worldwide Web Consortium um, uh, verifiable credential model. Uh, and, it, and if you think about what that uh, verifiable credential trust triangle model looks like between the issuer, the credential holder, and the credential verifier, um, what type of business processes and use cases are there for using that verifiable credential in healthcare use cases? And, and despite what we could bring to the table for technical knowledge and engineering to develop the Lumetic Connect product, you know, as a small company or even just in conjunction with Providence Health, we couldn't necessarily come up with every use case by ourselves uh, or get industry buy-in for a use case for how a verifiable credential could be used in a healthcare scenario without participation of as many healthcare organizations as possible. And so we've created the Lumetic Exchange to allow healthcare organizations to join for free and participate in that process to get educated about verifiable credentials and contribute their perspective as to, if I have a patient coming in for an X-ray and they have their insurance through Blue Cross Blue Shield, you know, what needs to go into a verifiable credential? What's the registration process like? How do I tie that credential to the imaging system and to the image, um, how does it work with their insurance eligibility and registration, that sort of thing. Super cool. And are, are you seeing, um, I, I always worry about the education gap with any any new technologies, but do, is it clicking like with, with the, the health providers that are coming into the Lumetic <laughs> Exchange that are they really seeing the value of uh, portable digital verifiable credentials? That's a great question. I, I would like to say that they're seeing the value of it, but it is it is a brand new effort. We really launched about uh, November of last year, which of course, launching anything last year in the pandemic, I think obviously uh, uh, complicates some of your messaging. But uh, what I can say is we have a strong participation from several folks in the payer community, from MasterCard, uh, identity services from uh, um, other representatives in Providence, uh, from Higher Right, the human resources information company. Uh, and, and they are consistently participating in, in both a couple of the work groups we've stood up, plus some new ones uh, that are addressing various issues for credentials. So I'm only optimistic that uh, the momentum uh, is going to build this year. And I think uh, uh, both membership contributions and value will all be built uh, as the year goes on. It seems like the, um, uh, the, the one opportunity or the, the one, one of the good things with, with COVID, if there's any of them, is just driving kind of the push towards more and more digitization. So, so the use of uh, proof of vaccines, that, that's one of the first use cases that seems like uh, you're focused on? 
Uh, yes, and uh, I like the way you kind of uh, you kind of paraphrase that. Both fortunately and unfortunately, it's it's yeah. terribly unfortunate that we have um, such the such a human toll and tragedy concerning the pandemic. Uh, on the other hand, it has prompted consideration and forced changes in business models in ways that we you know in some cases just talked about and never been able to do that are now reality. Whether it's telework and now adoption of telehealth and virtual care. Uh, and just moving that forward. And uh, in many ways, the substance around uh, uh, a, a health pass or, or vaccination credential was there before. And it's something we've been working on as an underlying technology with Lumetic Connect and for Providence for a couple of years. Uh, but you know, fortunately or unfortunately, the, the foundation of vaccination coverage and a vaccination credential serves as a foundation for really demonstrating a use case uh, in, in one of the most, you know, positive and fast moving ways. So, yeah, but people definitely understand that when, when they see it and it has been interesting. Uh, I remember, I guess er early last year when we were in the early days of COVID, uh, with the COVID credentials initiative starting and a lot of different mm -hmm. efforts kind of trying to, trying to look at a way to, uh, to use the, these new technologies for good without sacrificing privacy, without sacrifice, sacrificing any ethical, mm -hmm considerations and so forth what like although the stuff could excite you is there stuff that scares you about the the covid uh, there seems to be a lot of different covid projects as well that are going on right now right absolutely and of course you know i'll be quick to point out ours as being one of the best but i do so in the context that you know the the vaccination credential use case is but one of many use cases that we're looking at as part of this broader aspect of managing patient health information that we've been talking about so far. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, that, and that you would clearly called out with things like HIPAA and uh, the, the uh, 21st Century Cures Act. Um, but you're right, unfortunately, there's, there's several prominent cases going on right now or several prominent uh, industry applications where Privacy seems like a real concern, and and it's understandably very difficult for a consumer to look at these different things and be told, "Oh, don't worry, it's on the blockchain," and that's somehow supposed to mean something in terms of privacy, without underlying what a what a governance framework is, what an inherent privacy-preserving sort of architecture is, and and we were aiming for all of that first and foremost, even before just dealing with vaccination credentials, and so uh, that's that's built on it too. So. Uh, in, in working with things like the Good Health Pass Collaborative, we're trying to come up with that good housekeeping UL type seal of approval that shows uh, this credential application and mobile application has taken into account key considerations for privacy, security, interoperability, um, uh, a trust framework, et cetera, uh, so that you can, you can trust and appreciate that, uh, that these apps are, are only working your behalf and that they're not representing either some uh, corporate surveillance of healthcare or some other, you know, government intrusion into your health information. Are, are the kind of trust models or trust frameworks that you've been working on within the Lumetic Exchange and there's a lot of good work happening, as you mentioned, at the Good Health Pass Collaborative, is there is there a lot of overlap there? Have you been able to contribute to that? I appreciate that. I'll leave it to my peers to determine if I'm actually making a contribution or not, but I, <laughs> I show up for all the meetings for sure. But um, uh, I think you make a great point. It's, it's entirely collaborative. And if you think about it, uh, in some respects, uh, again, 
the things that we're working through in terms of privacy and interoperability and trust frameworks in the Good Health Class Collaborative, um, while called into focus around the issue of vaccination credentials, uh, also pertain across the board with any other healthcare information type, uh, type factor. So, um, uh, you know, as you mentioned, there's lots of good companies in CCI and lots of work there. But of course, as an organization, they're focused on COVID credentials. Uh, ours is a focus on health information credentials, patient-centric identity uh, management first with, with COVID credentials um, being a natural, outlaw, a natural uh, overlay to that. Yeah, and then there's the need for trust models or trust frameworks across uh, mm -hmm. different industries or ecosystems. Like uh, we, we see a lot of stuff happening in the financial sector, which is uh, the area which uh, we do a little more. But how do you describe a trust model or trust framework to something to someone? Because that's um, it's kind of a new concept, right? That that wasn't necessarily there with uh, tr traditional architected systems. Yeah, that's a great question, and you're right. It it is very new. Uh, when you're advancing this model of trust first and foremost. And speaking as a chief trust officer, I, of course, uh, spend some time explaining, well, what is a chief trust officer? And I, and I emphasize to them around how, you know, previous roles for chief this and chief that, whether it was a chief information officer, chief technology officer, chief data officer, all highlighted how organizations were taking a new organizational leadership uh, around that particular concept or how important information was or how important data was. And now we feel we're in the era where uh, trust has to be called out as something that, that is an organizational value, an organizational effort. Um, so with that in mind, you need a trust framework. And when asked, you know, how do I look at a trust framework or a trust assessment framework? Um, you know, trust is represent, digital trust is, is considered to be an embodiment of all the ongoing activities in areas of security, and privacy and, and data, uh, data management, data governance um, that manifest itself as some way that parties who may or may not know or like each other can agree upon trusting each other. Uh, and um, that, that represents generally a combination of things that we're already familiar with like ISO standards uh, or GDPR or in, health, in, in uh, financial services, GLBA and um, um, uh, other financial securities acts uh, that combine together lay out uh, some way that organizations can attest or be certified to saying, um, I'm following security standards, I have security in place, I'm following privacy standards, there are right to, uh, there's right to privacy by the users, there's a right to protect their data and a right to be forgotten. Uh, all of that serving as a framework to be able to say, can I now trust that the rules in this organization, conjunction with the rules in that organization, will allow me to use this credential as a model uh, to identify myself and say, despite the fact that you may not know everything about me, we both agree that we're following these rules together and you can trust that I can do this, or more importantly, that I can trust you that you can have my information or that we can, we can have some sort of uh, transaction or relationship together, which I think when you think about it is kind of the heart of where uh, blockchain and Bitcoin and everything started, which is, you know, even in anonymous, almost adversarial relationships, you could have rules for how transactions took place so that two people could conduct a financial transaction without ever knowing each other. And everyone agreed to what that was. And that was, in fact, really a trust assurance framework. It was engineered into the Bitcoin code and, and the way which uh, 
uh, Bitcoin operates. And that kind of serves as a foundation to then extend that to verifiable credentials and saying, I present a credential that you're, comes from someone you trust or an organization that's trusted. Uh, and that serves as the basis for our transaction together without having to collect and store a bunch of other information about. Yeah, I remember in the uh, so some years ago when <laughs> blockchain was uh, supposed to be used for everything. And so in, in the early days of, of doing I, kind of decentralized identity management, a, a lot of the thinking was, hey, let's just throw everything <laughs> on chain. And uh, I think we realized pretty quickly that, yeah, that doesn't, uh, that, that definitely does not hold up. You can't, <laughs> you can't put personal information on chain. So I'm definitely happy with the evolution that we've seen with uh, just off-chain secure communication with uh, with verifiable credentials and, and using pretty cool cryptography and protocols to, to allow that to, to happen. But then uh, does the Lumetic, so I guess the Lumetic ecosystem, does the Lumetic ecosystem publish its own trust framework and does it use a specific blockchain as a utility to, to write information pertinent to, to issuers and certain credential information? Yes. And first of all, let me say, I think your summary was beautiful. As someone that's been in blockchain and healthcare for about four years, uh, I kind of translate it from a, uh, from a Dilbert cartoon, which is blockchain is like radioactivity. You can use it for good or evil and you don't want to get any of it on you. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it is something that I believe a lot of people had vision about, well, just use blockchain like Bitcoin and somehow it's all anonymous when in fact, you know, blockchain does a beautiful job being able to eliminate anonymity and be able to trust and or, or excuse me, trace and associate transactions with a specific person with a specific information. But when you abstract it out between on-chain and off-chain, just like you're, su you're suggesting, um, then you have a new way to be able to enforce privacy, especially with the principles of decentralized identifiers. Um, we are built on the, the combination of the Hyperledger Indie Aries framework uh, and part of the sovereign network. Uh, and so you have those principles and trust framework associated with Sovereign and, and SSI as part of the framework for the Hyperledger Indie Aries uh, network that we're using or, or, or software components that we're using. Um, and uh, and to, your, to your question, yeah, the, the Lumetic Exchange is developing their own trust framework uh, and own credential rules, which we intend to publish uh, as they're developed by the working groups to our lumeticexchange.org uh, website uh, to be available as examples for anyone. We see really the most important thing first is culturalization, education, and adoption. Um, that, that we won't necessarily be the only solution for this, though we'd obviously like to help all the patients in America, um, but, uh, but really understanding it and moving it forward as a concept for how patient information should be managed is probably the most important thing, first and foremost. Uh, and so we'll share all of the trust framework uh, and governance framework documentation we develop out of the exchange publicly uh, to do just that and, and allow people to, to build upon it. Uh, and when the next thing comes along, whether it's, uh, it's carry or Hadera Hashgraph or the next version of, uh, of Hyperledger India Aries that uh, we have a framework to help support that. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I love to just like the, the rest of the community, like it's great to, to see you guys participate. And I, I know you're passionate about participating in different organizations, whether it's the Trust Over IP, ID 2020 or other ones. It's, um, it's, it's funny going back to the, that, 
that nice illustration that Mike Nash uh, had put together that starts at the paper era. Well, it's definitely not the elimination of the paper era as uh, we're, we're talking more and more about today, right? It's like you, you need to be, this technology needs to be accessible to people and it needs to fit, it needs to fit the different cultures or the different ways of using it. Absolutely. And that, and that drives me, your commentary drives me to another point too, which is this idea of patient centric and patient empowerment and, and consumerism. And I know that's on Mike's graphic as well, that we have to take into account the, the, the gradual but steady building of consumerism in healthcare in a way that hasn't existed before. Uh, and, and by virtue of making this technology accessible, how consumers can take advantage of it as part of, of doing their business of daily life, um, uh, you know, the use of faxes and the uses of paper records have still continued to persist. Uh, and nothing makes me want to stick a pencil in my eye faster than when I see an advertisement for a secure cloud-based fax platform. I'm like, well, fantastic. What a great job hedging over the cart path and I'm going to go buy another horse. Um, it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's not advancing where technology can go to help consumers and empower patients. And, and there's a great deal of that effort going on within HL7, of course, too, which is why I'm excited to make it a complimentary effort where so many folks around the US and around the globe are working HL7 to advance more effective ways to exchange health information. And we exchange, and we advance, excuse me, other standards from the global community around identity to be able to make it a patient-centric way of managing that. And it's nothing short of revolutionary. And revolutionary means that there's winners and losers. And you hope that the most important winner, of course, is the patient. Yeah, with, with the understanding, like you said perfectly, that there's not going to be one winner. You need to be able to play with, within the ecosystem and, and add the value that, that you're good at adding value in the ecosystem and um, can't, can't just replicate the siloed models that are, are there today. That's not the the evolution or revolution that, that we're looking for in here. And I'll just say, I'll, I'll, I'll post uh, Mike's uh, illustration in the show notes for this podcast. We've referred to it a couple of times. I think it's, it's a great uh, overview of uh, mm -hmm. the different eras uh, within, within uh, healthcare. Um, so with, within, within the Lumetic exchange, uh, I guess there's different organizations that are part of this. There's different working groups that are happening. What's being worked on? You know, and uh, let me highlight probably my most exciting working group, which is health equity. Um, we've set out to, uh, to try and get about seven working groups up and running. Uh, we have an identity working group, which are looking at things like identity attributes and binding, things I'm sure you're familiar with that, uh, that are uh, fundamental block in tackling for how verifiable credentials work. Uh, we have another one around registration and, uh, and eligibility, which starts to tie in the actual workflow of, uh, of a patient registration process at a healthcare system uh, into the use of a verifiable credential. Uh, we're also looking at some very specific healthcare ones for things like skilled nursing facility and for imaging and, and pharmacy applications. Um, but in our, in our uh, health equity and population health working group, I kind of got excited about it because I spent a lot of time at another concept called social determinants of health or SDOH, which in healthcare has a lot of conversation going on. And this is looking at non-clinical factors that make up your, your healthcare, uh, uh, healthcare aspects and your lifestyle. And as someone said, you know, um, social determinants of health are, are health factors no matter what. We, we, are, we tend to look at them for things like 
housing security and economic security, food security, uh, but there, there are social factors that weigh in for whoever is being considered as part of uh, the clinical analysis. It's just they're not Informa it's not information that your doctor historically has gathered that you typically see in a clinical record, but we understand more and more as being you know, a critical consideration. Uh, if you live in an area where it's challenging to get affordable uh, uh, um, housing, um, that's gonna factor into impacts to clinical care and your ability to get to the doctor and just have a place to live. Um, that translates into points of digital information about you that are separate than just what you have in your healthcare record, but have to be considered. And, and where should they be considered um, um, better than in a platform that you control for where that information is available and then shared uh, with your healthcare provider? Um, and then conversely, there are things about your healthcare information that may need to be taken into account when you're being provided housing or for mental health or for food security but that doesn't mean that you're giving consent to everyone that you meet uh, to just have total access to your healthcare record. And so as there's all of these various uh, factors and determinants that are looked at for modern healthcare, um, those are sources of digital information that really only the individual concern can control. Um, and so we're looking at how do these factors of health equity and social determinants of health get considered from a verifiable credential standpoint. How do I tie together some of the work being done in HL7 and things like the Gravity Project for social determinants of health into the identity model that we have in using a verifiable credential? And then probably most importantly, how do we ensure that using verifiable credentials either doesn't create a problem for digital health equity, you know, the so-called digital divide, uh, but in some way maybe even helps, uh, helps uh, mitigate or improve health equity problems that we're seeing in digital health right now? Are these layers that one would see if they're using uh, if they're using a wallet or something that there would be an agent in your wallet like your Lumetic Connect that is able to kind of uh, process this the, the right way? So you kind of it. Um, I, I've seen it differently in different use cases where we start talking about we start talking less about credentials but more about kind of capabilities and skills. And so you kind of have this translation layer. Is that is that something that would be similar with the health equity stuff? Absolutely, that's a wonderful observation because for us. You know, the, it, it, this, this effort doesn't stop with just a credential. The patient era is about patient empowerment. And I mentioned before about AI and, and other tools you can use. Um, I think that there's nothing more important than continued advancements of that presentation layer, of that user experience, where so much of this is kind of just under the covers. Um, you know, I, I joke around in the blockchain and healthcare community and say the first rule of blockchain is stop talking about blockchain. What you're really talking about is you know, what is it in the decentralized application that improves things? And we have to have applications that, you know, a that a uh, uh, an elderly uh, Medicare recipient can understand to use as easily as a 25 year old millennial JavaScript developer. Um, and and in the specifically in the world of healthcare, what are there about, you know, healthcare terms and and diagnosis and uh, and treatment plans? Um, that are not only easy to understand, but can translate into things from a user experience or an engagement platform that work with the patient to keep them informed, to help them make decisions, and at the same time, help safeguard their data and the ability to share data and provide consent. Are there new, new revenue opportunities too? Like, are these conversations that, that 
that come up with uh, different people within the ecosystem that are looking to understand, hey, is there, you know, like with any proper ecosystem or collaborative model, and you kind of mentioned, you got to talk about the value or the benefits rather than just saying blockchain or just talking about the technology, but um, been seeing this for for a while now where it's like, this is great, but as kind of once I establish myself, let's say I'm, I'm a healthcare provider, or let's say I'm an insurance company, let's say I'm a lab, these are all participants that would fit within the Lumetic exchange. Um, do you work with them to define kind of what the revenue models are? Uh, are there concerns about like, hey, what if, uh, you know, my, my credentials are, are reusable and, and, and shareable and stuff like that, that do I potentially lose on, on future revenue? Is, is this stuff you, that you guys talk about? You know, I can't say that we've had some of those specific conversations, but I think some of what you're alluding to is really important, which is, uh, you know, just the general concern overall that so many healthcare applications uh, are just another form of surveillance capitalism. And that saying, hey, what a great application to help you manage your healthcare, only to find out that you're putting all of your personal data in it and they're doing something with it behind the scenes. Um, so that's that's clearly not something we want to have as a problem. And I think just in general, as you mentioned, the concept of verifiable credentials and using your patient identity, um, being cognizant of ways that you don't inadvertently create that surveillance capitalism uh, or find new ways to construe information that becomes restrictive. You know, nobody wants to be able to have their healthcare data present a situation for an insurance company to pass judgment on not covering them or to raise their rates. So is there ways that healthcare information is anonymous around decision-making or anonymized uh, that allow you to protect your identity, uh, you know, limit bias or, or um, unethical approaches, uh, and at the same time advance how that information is used for effective you know, quality measures, and quality metrics? That's interesting. There's something strong about um, having selective disclosure, but also beyond that, just being able to uh, control your image or your persona and not, not needing to necessarily uh, divulge all the information about yourself. So you're not like complete, completely exposing yourself uh, to, to everyone and, and to everywhere. And uh, basically uh, along the surveillance capitalism lines that you just said there, but in order to I guess I, as a patient, if, if I'm, I'm now using Lumetic Connect, I have uh, some, some credentials on there. I'm able to use different services and stuff like that that, that you'll have on there. But th this is something that when I show up to a doctor's office or something, and th they're still using their traditional systems in there, whether it's uh, an EHR or whatever it is, it, it, the idea at that point, and I think one of the working groups you, you talked about kind of might be covering a lot of this stuff, but um, is that how it works? I, I, I show up at my doctor's office, I scan a QR code and I give them consent to, and I transfer certain data to their system. Yeah, that's uh, th and that is the long-term vision for sure. And, and you're right, those are areas that our working groups are still sorting through to understand the specific mechanics. Um, it is, it is approached with the idea that you would have you know, basically a QR code, uh, QR code presented and a, a QR code reader um, as the fundamental kind of uh, interface point for everyone to consider. Um, you know, it could be near field communications, NFC or Bluetooth as we build upon it. 
um, but but just that uh, that initial point of uh, of registration and, and leveraging that QR code is is where our conversations are starting. That is correct. Got it. And um, I saw I saw something posted that I, I think there's trials or it's it's being tested internally, right, within kind of the Providence uh, system where there's actually like this this is being piloted. It's being tested. It's being used uh, as we speak. Uh, yeah, so it's being piloted and tested around the vaccination credential first, because that's obviously the use case, the other ones in development. And, and I would just mention that, uh, you know, the, again, the opportunity that we're afforded with Providence Health Systems is, uh, is, a, is a, uh, a landscape of 85 million patients and 120,000 caregivers. So we have a, a very broad and diverse landscape in healthcare to be able to leverage, you know, quote unquote, kind of in our own backyard, uh, which just will help, you know, demonstrate efficacy for healthcare overall. Uh, it's not just, you know, a single clinic in one single town someplace, um, which, you know, makes it very exciting to show the depth of, of development that's possible. Awesome. Um, the other projects I've seen in, in the healthcare space, I think have been more from the, the doctor or the physician side of things, right? Like I, I know mm -hmm. you collaborate with NHS and uh, um, I've heard conversations uh, with them on before is there collaboration with them too although they're kind of touching the other side i guess within the larger ecosystem everyone needs to be plugged in yeah that's a great question um we don't actually collaborate with nhs in the uk at the moment i've had the pleasure to uh, uh certainly some colleagues there and talk with them a bit but our our focus is uh is in the u.s and the u.s is just so large and so diverse in terms of what we're trying to address that uh I'd welcome the chance with the work with the NHS in the future, but we want to conquer U.S. healthcare first. Yeah, it makes sense. So, just just in closing, Jim, what's what's on the roadmap? What should people expect from Lumetic for for the rest of 2021, and how could people help out? Sure. So, a couple key points is just uh, our work with the Good Health Pass Collaborative, as well as internally with Lumetic, uh, to continue to advance uh, what a uh, secure privacy preserving sort of vaccination credential is like if in fact uh, people are called upon to need it for travel and return to work and the like. Uh, building upon that to help improve and really revolutionize the registration workflow, uh, which uh, potentially not only saves patients a, a whole bunch of time and preserves their privacy, can be tremendously efficient on the part of the healthcare systems too. Uh, and then just continued growth and participation in the Lumetic Exchange to define new use cases, new proofs of concept, uh, and being able to advance this verifiable credential patient information platform concept uh, that much further in, in, uh, in 2021 and into 2022. I love the vision uh, towards the patient era. I think you guys are at the forefront. Um, I look very forward to, to keeping... Uh, uh, a close eye on what's happening and, and the progress that's going to be happening this year and over the next few years. Jim, thank you very much for doing this with me today. Thank you, Matthew. It's been a pleasure and I look forward to you keeping me honest in our development. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. To stay up to speed with future episode releases, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever channel you're listening to it right now. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to me directly. You can find me online. I'm quite active on LinkedIn and Twitter, so I look forward to hearing from you. See you all next time.